The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. All right, my name is Neil. I'm one of the pastors here at Park. Uh, Good to see you guys. We are going to talk about money and possessions in the gospel tonight. Um, Before I do, so... The way we like to do, we were talking about this earlier with the interns, the way we like to do a lot of our seminars here at Park is ground whatever the topic is, so be it faith and work, be it money and stewardship, ground it in, in not just a, a series of principles uh, that we can then go out and try to muster up enough energy to, to do or perform, uh, but to start with what is the, the grand vision, what is the narrative that God is actually telling in the, the course of history uh, up to this present day? Uh, what, what does scripture give us in that? So, so we begin with that before we ever get to what are the specific principles, how do we actually apply what God has communicated about, um, whatever the topic is. So that, that's why we structure our seminars this way. Night one will consistently be a lot of theology, um, unpacking different texts of scripture. We're going to get some time to discuss around our tables um, and think through together um, this story that God is telling throughout history uh, that, that we see in scripture and carries into our, our present context today. Um, how does it frame our understanding of money, of stewardship, of possessions, of the things and the stuff of this earth? Um, and tomorrow night we're going to hear from three different people um, in shorter segments, about 15 to 20 minutes, talking about, okay, we heard the, the theological vision. What do we do uh, in terms of enjoying God's gifts? Um, how, how do we faithfully budget those things? And then how do we give or sacrifice those things? We'll have a lot of discussion tomorrow night as well. So that's the, that's the overlay for tonight and tomorrow. Um, but let me pray for us, and then let's jump in for tonight. Father, we thank you that you've, you've created uh, all that exists. Thank you that you've uh, given us a, a very beautiful material creation. Uh, you've spoken life into it. You've spoken life into us. Um, and it, it's, not a, it's not a flat, two-dimensional, gray, drab world. Um, but it's one full of, of color and life and relationship, and it's um, intriguing and dynamic, and there's always more to learn and see and discover. And you've actually placed us here to, uh, to do something with the stuff of this earth. So help us to, to think well about that tonight. Um, areas in our lives, areas in our hearts where we, we tend to elevate created things above you, um, help us to see that, uh, expose that for us kindly. And may you lead us into a, a very... Uh, a very good form of, of repentance and, and turning from that, turning to um, not just away from something, but to you and what it actually looks like to, to have joy in relationship to your creation, um, worshiping you and serving other people. So help us tonight. May we be faithful to your word, your gospel, uh, what you've communicated to be true about what you've made. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So admittedly, throughout the history of the church, Christians have had a very awkward relationship with money, with stuff, with kind of the things of this world, how should we interact with them? Kind of reminds me of a, of a middle school dance in some ways. You guys remember middle school dances? Was that a thing you guys went to? The guys kind of gravitate to one side and the girls gravitate to the other and there's like one really confident, overly confident guy who's out doing dance moves in the middle. But most people, you don't know what to do. Do you like, where do you put your hands or you, you rock back and forth? What, what do I do in this context? And a lot of times that's what we do as Christians. And you look throughout the history of the church, it can be a very awkward relationship. We, we know we're meant to, to worship God, not stuff. Yet at the same time, we are material beings to some extent. 
and we have to interact with this material world that God has created. Um, so just looking through the history of the church, you tend to have two camps or two categories uh, that creates a spectrum where we can even find ourselves in relationship to the stuff of this world. On the one side, you have... Asceticism. Did I spell that right? Yes. So on the one side, asceticism. What is asceticism? If you break down kind of the etymology of this word, it just means discipline or training. It's kind of a framework, a way of thinking and being. It was used very early on in the church, history of the church, where people say, okay, I really want to be disciplined about my Christian faith. Uh, I don't want to just kind of be carried through by whims and emotions and whatever comes along. I actually want to think well, act well, be disciplined, and organize my life around the things that I say I care about the most. What this turned into over time, kind of an ascetic way of life, was a rejection of anything that, that may potentially get our hearts away from worshiping God. Uh, a really good example of this would be uh, the early church father, Origen, he was born late 2nd century, lived through about the first half of the 3rd century. And he, he took it to new extremes. Like you had guys before that would, would go sit on poles for a while and say, I, I'm not going to starve myself. Maybe every once in a while a friend would bring me some, bring me some food. But for the most part, I'm just going to study. I'm going to read. Uh, I'm going to even uh, beat my body physically because it must be evil somehow, and so I need to discipline myself to love God, not things of this world. But then Origen comes along, and he says, ah, in kind of a, a fit of, of being very ascetic, he said, well, I, I see this sexual desire in myself. I need to take care of that. And so he castrated himself. That's Origen. That is asceticism taken to the far extreme, like anything that might possibly get my heart away from in terms of the material world, away from God, cut it off. Even literally. And that's what Origen did. And so then you have this tradition of, of thinking within Christianity that we still experience in a lot of ways today, that we, we demonize that which is physical. We demonize that which is material. Um, when I was in, in college, so I, I, I tend to, when I do something, like I, I want to be either all in or not in at all. The trouble is I don't know how to discriminate between the things that I, I should, like, not do all the way. The other day, Andrew Clausen, uh, a lot of you guys probably know, he's one of our pastors here. He, he walked by my desk and said, Neil, you are the best. Like, my head kind of popped up, like, oh, really, Andrew? How am I the best? He said, well, you are the best at getting sick. When you get sick, you don't just kind of get sick. You really get sick, and you're just, like, down for a week. I'm like, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, but it's true. Like, I'll just go headlong into whatever I'm doing. When I was a sophomore in college, I became um, really convicted around some of the things that I read Jesus said in the, in the Gospels of, you know, birds have nests, foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Um, or he, he talks with a rich young ruler, and he comes to, to Jesus saying, hey, how do I inherit the kingdom of God? And he kind of lists off some commands, and the guy's like, yeah, I do that, do that, do that, I'm doing great. He says, okay, well, now go sell everything you have and come follow me. So I started hearing these things, different taglines, different stories, and saying, well, I want to be like Jesus. I'm called to be like Jesus. Well, I need to sell stuff. So I sold my car. I bought a, a 1989 Dodge Ram that got 11 miles per gallon because I thought that was, like, ministry-minded because I could put stuff in my truck and help uh, some of the neighbors in the area. So I, I started doing all these things uh, 
joined different ministries. I started different ministries. Just like whatever I could do to feel like I was living in line with that vision. But in addition to that, I would also feel guilty every time I would enjoy a, a good meal. Every time I would, I would lay down and have a, a nice warm bed to, to, to get into. I would feel guilty. feel like I was doing something wrong because I was enjoying these things that, that someone else didn't have. So that was me leaning toward this kind of ascetic way of being. Um, I, I even began to, to look like a bum. Like I grew my hair out, wore the same clothes over and over, I showered on occasion. It's amazing to me that my now wife actually started dating me during this season of my life. Don't know why, but maybe it was because I, I was so much more like Jesus. She just was, was drawn to me. Um, but I, I drifted toward this, seeing the, the material world, seeing the created order as something to, to distance myself from. I like my car. I, I can't like my car. Go sell it. Find something you know you won't like. I'm enjoying this meal, and there must be something wrong with that. I need to feel guilty about that. And so it created this kind of discomfort and this, uh, this angst within me. And, and I've seen this across, with a lot of um, other people that I've talked to in terms of, man, I, I want to follow Jesus. That means I'm, I must holistically abstain from anything that might be enjoyable um, in, a, in a kind of a material, physical sense. But then we have the other side of the spectrum, materialism. So philosophically, materialism says that all that truly exists is material. So, so there, is no, there is no true ontological substance to the spiritual realm. Like that's all kind of made up. But a lot of us aren't necessarily philosophical materialists, right? We'll say, yeah, there, there's spiritual realities. They're, they're true. We're Christians. Um, but when it comes to kind of a, a functional materialism, kind of a, a practical materialism, it's saying that what gives my life meaning is the physical stuff in my life. It's having things. It's acquiring things. It's getting comfort. It's being able to buy the right amount of things. It's having the right paycheck and the size of paycheck and opportunities in my job and kind of moving forward. It's, it's living as though all that really matters, not all that exists, but all that really matters, at least in a certain sphere of my life, is that which is material, that which is, is physical. Um, I want to show a, a, a quick clip. Kyle, you can pull that up. That it's from the movie WALL-E, and I think it captures some of where we find ourselves today, if we're honest. Have it all morning, so let's hover over to the driving range and hit a few virtual balls in space. Now we did that yesterday. I don't want to do that. Well, then what do you want to do? I don't know. Something. Wow. Make a place. Really jealous. Oh, it does sound. Look, I'm tired of it. If you can't fool the straws, you have to show them any good.
So that's just a quick clip. If you guys haven't seen the movie, um, basically humans destroyed the Earth. It was uninhabitable. And so this is out in space now. And humans are just kind of these hovering consumers wherever they go. And I think if... It's like, ah, that's not exactly Coloradoans. You just need to put skis underneath us instead of those chairs. Now, we did that yesterday. I don't want to... we can watch it again. Well, then what do you want to do? I don't know. Something. So it's like... That epitomizes so much of how we, we operate in our lives. Now, this is taken to an extreme, obviously. We're not, we're not floating around. But you put... <laughs> That's amazing. This, this demonstrates the perversion of our hearts. It just gets flipped on its side. <laughs> um, but it's like... We have, we have social media in front of our faces. We have communication in front of our faces. We have uh, the newest, latest and greatest, the advertisement. We want to uh, buy the newest things. We can float through lives so often, through our lives, um, just being consumers. Thinking what, what gives my life substance, what gives it true meaning, is consuming more things. It's getting more things. It's kind of arrive, that, that's when I arrive. Um, Andy Crouch was out here for our, our last symposium a couple months ago. And one of the things he said after the leadership breakfast, um, I think we're, I forget, talking about Calvinism or Mininism, I don't remember what it was. But he's like, I'm really concerned whenever there are isms attached to words. He goes, because usually that's a sign of idolatry. Usually that's taking some concept, some idea, something, and elevating that to the extent in our, in our kind of lived um, practice and saying that is the most important thing. That, that is the thing I must have, that is the thing that I long for. And that's what we have here. So having a certain type of, of training and discipline to our Christian lives where we learn to say no to certain things, that's really good. That's actually consistent with the gospel. That's consistent with what God has called us to as human beings. Um, and recognizing the, the goodness of the material order, that's also good. But neither one of these should be taken to the extent that the substance of my life is actually found in them. Now, it may be easy for us to kind of distance ourselves from one extreme or the other. Uh, but we have, to, we have to be aware of the difference between our, our formal theology and our functional theology. So a formal theology is what we articulate. It's, it's all the right answers we have. We, we know what to recite. We know what to tell people. Um, yeah, I can take a test on that. I can fill out the right blanks. And it's great. Everybody thinks I'm, I'm very sound in, in my articulation of a gospel approach to money and stewardship. But how do we actually make our decisions day in, day out? How do we actually choose when it comes to how we spend what God has given to us? Not just money. How do we spend our lives in all the various different capacities? That will demonstrate what we truly believe and what we truly value. Um, let's shift over now. So, Graham Cole, in his book, he talks about, um, it's actually looking at the incarnation, so the fact that God became man and what that does for creation. Uh, but he, he talks about Archbishop Canterbury William Temple. He famously said that Christianity is the most materialistic of all religions. Clearly, he wasn't suggesting that here is a faith interested only in materialistic pursuits. Rather, his point was that Christianity affirms the material order. The creator created matter. Indeed, the world 
the world to come of Scripture and the classic creeds do not leave matter behind. And so the answer here, a lot of times we think, oh man, it's so dangerous to, to fall in love with stuff, with money. I just need to run away from it. You know, probably the, the, the point is to move just along the spectrum as close as I can to here before I feel too weird, like too culturally or socially awkward. And then I'll, then I'll realize that's my stopping point and then I can go no further. Uh, but the gospel actually calls us into something completely different. So, so we're going to trace the, the history of the world very shortly um, and, and look at how do we understand money and stewardship? How do we understand stuff? Um, I want to look at first out of Genesis 1, half of a verse that obliterates both of these perspectives. So if you have your Bibles or phone or whatever else, Genesis chapter 1. So Genesis 1, God creates everything that is created. And then in the verse 31, the first half of verse 31 at the end of chapter 1. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. All right, so that one half verse destroys both of these perspectives. How? Genuine question. How? How, how does it destroy? First, let's go with materialism. You shout it out. God created everything, and what does he say about it? It's very good. So, so the, the lies, the pseudo-Christian lies that matter and, and physicality is somehow inherently evil is destroyed from the onset. This is before the fall. This is before the world knew anything of sin. There's nothing of rebellion or evil, nothing, only perfection. And God says, look at all this material creation. Look at everything that I've made. It's good. It's good. He affirms it. All right, so how does, how does this text obliterate the ascetic side? Or you just want to... Did I just screw that up? Yeah. It went opposite. That's the ascetic side. How does it do the material side? All right, anybody else? That was the ascetic side. This is so confusing right now. All right, so how, how, does, it, how does it obliterate materialistic? Because somebody could then sweep in and say, well, look, God called all these things good, therefore I indulge, I indulge, I indulge. I take in, I drink deeply of. God said it was good. It was very good. Exactly. So the very fact that God is the creator of these things, so they're created things. That, that points to, in and of itself, that there's something beyond creation itself. There's something that, where we find our true joy, true identity, true understanding of, of who we are and how we should interact with the world. It's not found in the things themselves. It's found in the one who created it. And because he created it, and because he owns it, he, he knows its true nature. He, he knows its purpose. He, he knows the ways in which we're meant to engage with this material order. And so we must look to him for that. And so this half verse uh, from the onset of Scripture destroys these two perspectives. Now back up a little bit in, in chapter 1, uh, verse 26. So this is the creation of man and woman. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. 
And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every, every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in, it, in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. So here, this is what's called the, um, the creation mandate or the cultural mandate. Saying God created man and woman, put us, put them, put our, our first parents on this scene of, of material creation. It said, now go cultivate it. Go make something of it. And you see it even more explicitly in Genesis 2.15. It goes, go work it and keep it. Go, go develop it. Like, like tease out the, the potentials of this creation, of this created order. Make something of it. Go build societies. Go start families. Be fruitful in everything you do. Do something with this material creation. But he says, do it in right relationship with me. Do it as one who recognizes I am the creator. Recognize, recognize that I'm the one who has, who has made you and has made everything here, and I know its purpose. I know the way that it rightly works. And so that's what we're meant to do. Uh, Greg Forrester, I love the way he says it in the original creation. He said, God originally created human beings to worship him and to bless one another. This truth is not only clear in Genesis. It runs all the way from one end of the Bible to the other. The purpose of human life is worship and service. And we are designed such that we flourish best when we carry out our purpose. In practice, this means that we should be cultivating blessings out of the creation order. We're here to make the world a better place. God gives us a whole universe that's packed full of potential blessings. From kind words and simple deeds we can all do every day, to the invention of entirely new products, services, ministries, and organizations. There's a whole world of blessings out there waiting to be brought into being. We were created to take potential blessing and turn it into actual blessing. So what he's saying is, God created all that is and put us here on this earth to worship him and to serve other people, to draw out the potential blessings by, by using ingenuity and creativity, using our hands, using our feet, using our, our minds and relationship to, to bring out from this creation what, what he's kind of embedded in its, in its DNA, in a sense. And so when we think about stewardship, Broadly, before we even get to the particulars of money and particular possessions, we think of stewardship. We are put on this, worth, on this earth to be stewards. Well, what is a steward? It's one who's been given uh, responsibility or charge over something, who exercises care over it. And that care is meant to be consistent with the one who actually owns it. So God has put us on the, this earth and said, hey, I, I own everything, I've created everything, now, now go serve me there, go represent me there in relationship with one another to worship me and serve other people. Go, go tease out the potentialities um, through your work, through your labor, through your stewardship. Now, now we get this concept of stewardship elsewhere. Um, those of you that have, have kids or as a kid when you had a babysitter, uh, what is a babysitter doing when he or she comes in? Well, it's like, hey, they're not my kids. I don't, I don't own these kids. You know, she, she's going to, to take care of those kids, to steward them consistent with the desires of the parent. 
So it's taking care of what is not yours in a way that's consistent with one who actually has proper authority. Uh, we see it in, in businesses and organizations as well. So you have a president or a CEO or a manager, someone who's giving vision and direction for a company, an organization. Saying, okay, now all of you take this vision and go carry it out. It needs to be consistent with what I've just communicated. It can't kind of be, kind of be what, you, what you want it to be in and of yourself. You're not going to um, just uh, derail this thing and say, yeah, I've got a better idea. It's completely inconsistent with what you said, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's like, no, I need to embody the vision that's been communicated to me. So this idea of stewardship, this idea of us being stewards, is that God has given us certain things, tangible and intangible. And he wants us to, to operate in a way consistent with his character and what he's communicated about us in this world in order to worship him and serve other people. So that's where I want to start. Let's turn to our tables and discuss for a little bit. Um, before we do, so the first few questions you can just answer around your table. And then for the, the fourth and fifth questions, you'll flip to the back of this sheet. And it's got a stewardship inventory. So it's looking at different things that God has given to you, uh, tangible and intangible, to be steward over. To exercise some level of control over. And asking the two questions, what is it that God has given to you in this category? So education and experience, financial material resources, relationships, influence and authority, so forth. What has he given to you? And then how, how can you wield this? How can you use this to worship God and serve other people um, in, the, in the various spaces that you do life? So do discussion number one, and we'll come back in about 12, 15 minutes. All right, for the sake of time, let's, let's keep moving. Um, We'll have more time to discuss at the end, so you guys can pick back up on this if you want to. All right, so we looked at so far the original creation that God made. If you guys need to get up and get coffee, drinks, whatever, go for it. Um, it's good. God called it good, he deemed it good, and he put us here in this material universe and said, make something of it. Go steward it. That's the original creation. What happens in Genesis 3? sin, the fall, perversion, it's, uh, it, it's taking what God has, has created as good, and then our human hearts become bent, we become twisted inward on ourselves, it's kind of our, our declaration of independence from God, we say now we want to become stewards according to our own rules, according to our own standards, according to what we, we dictate as being good, true, and beautiful. Um, it may be helpful, it's helpful for me to, to draw a line in my Bible, if you're one of those people that, that draws things and writes things in your Bible. Um, between the end of Genesis 2 and the start of Genesis 3. Because everything that came before Genesis 3 is good. It's the way that God intended for it to be. Uh, it's the original vision for uh, this universe, for this, this earth, and for our lives in it. It's all good. So work is good. Material universe is good. Uh, the relationship between people and God is good. Um, everything is, is sound and right. But then in Genesis 3, we get the fall. We get... Humans saying, I, I don't want to trust you, O Creator. Uh, I don't want to listen to what you've said in terms of the, the nature and the purpose uh, of what you've made. And I want to, I want to do what I see is, is most helpful, uh, to kind of get my own ends. And so that's what we see um, with the fall. And, and you know, really in our understanding of, of who human beings are, like who we are, we're, we're desiring beings. We're affection-driven beings. And so our, our volition, our decision-making, our wills, are governed by what we long for, what we desire. 
And what took place in, in the, the original rebellion, the original fall, was a turning of our affections away from God as being the ultimate treasure. And I'm saying, I'm, I'm going to elevate the created things above you somehow. And therefore, I'm going to organize and orient my life around those things. I, I deem those as being more important than actually getting God himself. And this is where it's helpful. To, so that's creation. Next part of the story is fall. And so we, th- we see that things are broken. Um, we take things. We take possessions. We take the realities around us. And we use them not for what God has called us to, but for whatever different series of goals and ambitions and desires we say, that, that's kind of what I prefer. Uh, no longer am I going to be submitted to one who, who tells me what is actually proper and, and good and actually leads to life. And this is where it's helpful to, to think about and talk about money. So for possessions, they can only do so much, right? Here's a thing that can, can bring me temporary enjoyment. Um, maybe I can trade that for another thing. You know, think barter system. But money now gives me the opportunity to so many different things. Um, so let, let's, let's think about money. What is, what is money? In, mo- in the most simplest of terms, it's a, it's a, it's a tool that simplifies trade. Uh, I'm, not, I'm no longer bringing my donkey with me into the market and saying, hey, I need, uh, I need milk and eggs for the next two weeks. So you can have my donkey, and I'll have your milk and eggs. We kind of do this, this barter um, exchange deal. Uh, money, money functions in three different ways in society. Uh, it's, a, it's a unit of account. And so if we go to the store and someone says, hey, th- this is going to be $22.95, we know what that means. So it's a, it's a unit of account. It's a medium, medium of exchange. And so again, it's, it's not the barter system anymore. We're actually giving this piece of paper um, to get something in return. And third, it's, it's meant to be a store of value. Of course, inflation and different economic policies um, undermine this, but it's meant to, to maintain some sort of value over the long haul, whereas a material thing, other than money, wouldn't necessarily do that. But the crazy thing about money is that it becomes a window into what we truly desire. And so if you ever have wondered, man, what do I, what do I really value in life? Like, what do I care about? What do I deem is, is most worth anything in my life? Pull out your next credit card statement. Uh, look it up online right now. I don't, I don't know if people do checkbooks anymore. Pull out your checkbook. Um, wherever you, you keep a record of what you spend your money on, that will t- and start categorizing those things, that will tell you, it tells all of us what we long for, what we want, what do we treasure, what do, what do we deem as being most valuable. So that, that's, where the, that's where the fall takes us. Um, but of course, it, it's so easy to demonize money in and of itself and say, well, that, that thing must be evil because look what it can do. Uh, look what it, the ways in which it can pervert. Um, you may even hear the, the text of scripture out of, out of First Timothy uh, misquoted, where they say, well, money is, is the root of all evil, right? How does that text actually go? The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So it's not like the singular root, but it's, it's actually the indefinite article. It's, it's a root. It's one of the roots. And it's not money in and of itself. It's the love. It's our affections. Um, it makes sense for, for, look what money can do. I mean, you, you, go to, you can spend money and get a, a pair of plastic gloves um, to, to do surgery and, and save a life. Or a guy goes out to the, 
Breaking Bad was just referenced recently. You can go cook meth in the, in the, in the trailer out in the desert. Uh, you can take money and go buy a knife, and you can chop vegetables for a stir-fry and have friends over and, and be hospitable and invite more community. Or you can go mug somebody in the back alley with that same knife. So it's not the thing. It's not the money. It's not what the money does. It's what the human heart does with the money, with the things. And it's a very important distinction because if we don't recognize the difference there, we start gravitating toward this ascetic mindset of, and it's just kind of this, this game of how far is, is too far with stuff. Then recognizing, oh, the problem actually resides within me. That the rebellion is in my own heart. It's the fact that I'm, I'm turned inward upon myself and I want to I take and wield the stuff of this earth and use it for my own ends instead of for the glory of God and to serve and to bless those around me. So what do we do in light of that? Uh, so creation, fall. Next chapter in the story is redemption. Enter the God-man, Jesus Christ. So God actually took on flesh, and in him doing that, that's affirming material creation. Like if there was something inherently evil about physicality, the perfect God would not take on human flesh. He would not be able to. So we see in the incarnation, we see, we just celebrated over Advent and at Christmas of, of God coming to us in flesh as an actual affirmation of the created order. And saying it, the evil is not within it, it's within the rebellious human heart. And so we can actually approach, we can reapproach the material universe in the right kind of way. And Jesus showed us what that looked like. He, he, he approached uh, physicality as, as a proper steward. Uh, people didn't know how to categorize him. They would, they would claim that he was a materialist and an ascetic. Just different people would talk about that. They'd say, man, you're, you're, you're a drunkard and you're, you're partying. Man, the first miracle you performed was to, to save the, the host from embarrassment. And, and you created wine from water. And so that people can continue to celebrate the marriage. And so people would be calling him a, a drunkard. And he's hanging out with the wrong people. But on the other side, the, the text that I referenced earlier... He's saying, man, I don't, know, I don't know where to live. He's not clinging to the things of this earth to, to give his life meaning. He's actually looking to the Father. And so this is the way to, to walk as a human in relationship to the created order. Uh, it's not having our hearts so tethered to and finding the meaning of our lives in the substance of creation that we're actually able to, to wield it, to steward it, to do the proper things with it, um, which is what we're going to look at more tomorrow night as well. Um, but not only did he just come and, and give us, and in fact, primarily he didn't come to just give us an example in a, in a different way of life. Our bad stewardship of the earth meant penalty from God. Like we rebelled against the king of the universe when he created everything and owns everything. We kind of gave middle fingers up and said, sorry, I want to do my own thing over here. I'm not going to listen to you. There has to be payment for that. For God to be just, there must be payment for that. So Jesus actually came in order to lay down his life to make that payment for us so that we no longer have to, to bear that punishment, to bear that judgment, to bear that wrath. And then he rose to new life. And through relationship with him and trusting in him and our union with Christ, we're now able to walk correctly in relationship to creation, to all the stuff around us. So we can actually re-engage imperfectly, absolutely, we, we fall in, in, in so many different ways. Um, our, our sinfulness rears its ugly head in so many different ways consistently. But now we're able to, in relationship with Jesus, to step back into 
properly living in relationship to it. Um, I want to look at uh, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus actually, if you count up all the different topics of conversation that Jesus had uh, recorded in the Gospels, money was the number one topic. He talked about that easily more than anything else in the text. And that's because it, it gives a window into what we actually love, which is another way of saying what we actually worship. How do we orient our lives? Uh, so look, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So there's a lot of, a lot of things that we could unpack here. Um, but overarchingly, what Jesus is saying is, what do you most value? You can't kind of have a, a both-and relationship with God and something else. And again, if we're conceiving of money, not just as, and what, what's the... The dollar amount in my, my bank account. Well, you know, how, much, how many bills do I have in my wallet? But thinking of the access that money gives us to a sense of, of comfort, of power, of control, of pleasure, uh, of access to so many different things that we think gives our lives meaning, that becomes this, this visual of, man, what is the train of my heart? Who am I actually serving? Uh, what am I actually sacrificing in order to get that? And so he draws a line in the sand and said, you, you can't do both. Like, you can't offer up your life in terms of your sacrifice of, of time and energy and everything else so that the ultimate joy, the ultimate objective is money and all that that gets you. And at the same time say, well, yeah, I worship God. I, I love the creator of all things. That man, Jesus, I, I love him. And I worship him above all else. He says, you, you can't do both of those. If you love one and worship one, it means you despise the other, and vice versa. That does not mean that we, we demonize money, but it means we're able to, to wield and make use of and understand the, the proper function of money and possessions and all those things that they potentially would get us access to. So that means we treasure that which is ultimate, that which is eternal. And we would then use what God has given to us in material sense to move that direction. So where is everything headed ultimately? We know from Revelation 21, another text, that Jesus, the Savior, the King, will in fact come again, and everything will be set right. So the perversion in our hearts, no more. Uh, the brokenness all around us in the material order, no more. Um, the ways in which we, we are bad stewards, we're going to be resurrected completely renewed and transformed, and we're going to live forever in a material, spiritual universe. There's physicality to the new heaven and new earth. We so often miss that. The visuals we have in our head are, you know, we become like, I don't know, we have wings and harps, and we float somehow with clouds, and that is heaven. 
But it's actually, whenever it's talked about heaven, it's, it's the new heaven and new earth. It's a, it's a renewed, holistic creation where Jesus reigns as king, we operate correctly as stewards, and we interact in relationship with each other, working and doing things and, and continue re-engaging the cultural mandate from Genesis, uh, in Genesis chapter 1. And so we look forward to restoration. We look forward to, to, the, to the day when all wrongs will be made right. Things will actually be put back the way that they're meant to. So what do we do in the interim? I want to look at one last text, and then we'll go back to our tables and discuss for a little bit. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy 6, and we'll start in verse 17. So here's T- Timothy, or Paul's charging Timothy. He's a pastor of a church in Ephesus that Paul had planted, and he's giving some final instructions. He says, as for the rich in this present age, speaking of, of Christians with a lot of material wealth, as for those people, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So let's stop there for a second. It's not wrong for us to have wealth. It's not wrong for, for Christians to have money or things. He, he even recognizes that this is a category of people that Timothy is trying to pastor well. He says, okay, so those people right now, how, how should you charge them? Well, don't be arrogant. Don't carry yourself as though you're better than other people who don't have the same material resources that you do. That's what they should live like. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. So where's their confidence? Where's their joy? Where's their comfort? What allows them to, to sleep well at night? Is the fact that they, they know about their 401k? They have a, a great retirement plan? Is because the, the prospects for their job and their career are just going up and up and up? Uh, is because they, they like the, the size of their house, location of their house. They like the, the, the type of car, the number of cars, the, um, the different recreation activities, you know, able to go skiing every weekend. Like, are those the things that give them confidence in this life? Well, no. Call them to put their hope in God. Riches are uncertain. Talk to some of your friends in oil and gas right now. It's like crazy right now. There, there is uncertainty in... In, in riches, and that's not where we're to place our confidence. But instead, put them on, put, put your hopes on God, who richly provides us with everything, everything to enjoy. So again, getting back to, He's the Creator, He is the Owner, and He's the Distributor of all things ultimately. So let's trust in Him. Then in verse eighteen, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So they're they're becoming good stewards. They're learning to to access and wield the material things God has given to them for the good of other people. It's not, well, I've earned it, I've made it, therefore I can, I can sit back and rest on it. And no one, can, no one can ever argue that I should do otherwise. But I say, no, how do, how do I wield this for the good of others around me? There's no law that's telling me that. It's actually, I get joy out of that. Because I, I see that, that Jesus, who is perfectly rich, had all things, sacrificed all in order to, to give me life, to give me everything with himself. And so I can live in that same pattern, that same mentality of giving up, of sacrificing 
being generous with what God has given me so that others may thrive, others may flourish, others may, may benefit from that. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up, for them, up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So it's prioritizing things correctly. It's saying that me getting all I can right now, like before Jesus returns and, and we step into this new heaven and new earth, like me getting and just attaining these things, that's not the substance of true life. The substance of true life is living a life of sacrifice, of giving, of offering up for the good of other people, for the glory of God, to worship him, to represent who this Jesus is who's done that for me in the most ultimate of ways. That's how we store up a treasure that lasts forever. It's not demonizing material things. It's not making evil money or the, uh, the gaining of wealth, of getting a paycheck, of working hard. Those are all really good things. Like valuable work should be rewarded by appropriate compensation. The question is, what do we do with that? Do we so treasure Christ? Do we so treasure God and his vision of the, of the world and this life that we're able to, to give and to sacrifice and say, how do I make use of what God has given to me so as to bless other people? All right, so let's turn back to our tables. Um, be a few more questions for under discussion number two, and then I'll wrap up in a handful of minutes.